this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Diaz and Tim Minichi. Jay, this week we're back with another one of our patron-selected reviews. It's 12-month anniversary time for one of our Patreon subscribers. Someone who has been with us, Jay, for quite a long time. You and I, I I'm using the, um, the pronoun him, but we don't really know. Because we only know them as... Retention Pond Honeys. (laughs) Oh. You know, it's pretty amazing, Jay, in this world. The enigma. The enigmatic. Yes. In this world where everything is known, we don't know who it is who has been suggesting us albums all these years. Uh, Started with way back with Null, the album that you could only get if you bought a comic book. That has to be the most obscure record we've done, right? It is the most obscure record we've ever done. In terms of availability, yes. And in terms of people knowing about it, I have to imagine that's got to be the most obscure thing. That's borderline local band level awareness. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Comparatively, this album was massive. I'm talking about Prick. The self-titled debut album by Prick from 1995, which was basically Kevin McMahon. Now, the interesting about Kevin McMahon and uh, Prick is that he had a band called uh, Lucky Pierre. Actually, he started recording with Lucky Pierre um, in 1974. He's a bit older than some of his contemporaries. And uh, there were a lot of members of the band. And at some point, Trent Reznor played keyboards for uh, McMahon. And they started, Hmm. uh, you know, he did some touring. And then uh, Prick toured with Nine Inch Nails and David Bowie. And there was basically a very mutual relationship to the point where Prick got signed to... Reznor's Nothing Records label. Trent Reznor ended up producing a number of songs on the album. Uh, We'll get into that. But I do want to mention the comments that we received from both Retention Pond Honeys and uh, our Patreon subscribers, who, by the way, Jay, I need to mention, we have a new Patreon subscriber at the $5 level. That's Daniel Craddock. Welcome, Daniel. Thanks for supporting the podcast. Thank you. In 12 months, you'll be doing the same thing and uh, suggesting a record. So let's get into first the comments uh, from our suggestor, Retention Pond Honeys, which you can go to at retentionpondhoneys.com. By the way, this was reissued recently. Bonus points if you can explain what that website is about, by the way. Yes, exactly. (laughs) It still doesn't make any sense, but okay. Uh, so this album is actually hard to come by. It's not on, I didn't find this on Spotify. Did you? Uh, yeah, it's on Apple music. 
I didn't look on Spotify. Yeah, it's not on Spotify. I don't have oh, Apple okay. Music. So yeah, it's on Apple Music. I listen to it on YouTube. It's strange because um, the full record's available, and then there's a single available for Animal. Yes, the single Animal is available on on Spotify. That's it. Oh, okay. That is bizarre. Okay. So he says, "I want you to, to, I want you to, to dig into this industrial pop anomaly." Trent Reznor produced four of the ten songs, but can you tell what tracks? I'm hoping to hear you delve into some more industrial in the future. And unlike Null's Absolute Zero, this LP, LP is easy to find. Uh, Animal got a ton of airplay. It was on a CMJ comp, and a bunch of others covered it. Uh, this is not true industrial in its heyday of crossover like Stabbing Westward, Stabbing Westward and the like. And we'll get into what he means about that. So... You can go to uh, luckyprick.net for a you know full sort of explanation of the whole history of this band. Basically, there are a lot of people involved with this record that came out in January of 1995. This record, Jay, has Trent Reznor as an engineer and, and production on four of the tracks, and then Richard Norris uh, producing the other six tracks, and then it has nine assistant engineers. Nine, Jay. Nine. I can, yeah, I can kind of believe it. It's a very complex record. Kevin McMahon. From an engineering standpoint. Yeah, Kevin McMahon, vocals, guitar, bass, programming, and drums. Chris Schuyler, guitar. Andy Kubuzeski. I don't know how you pronounce that. Too many S's and Z's. Uh, drums. And Alan Mulder, the famous Alan Mulder, mixed the record over at Patreon, which is at patreon.com forward slash dig me out. Keith Sawyer had this to say, not familiar with this release at all. Reminds me quite a bit of Lard, the Jello L. Jorgensen side project. I think the more consistent energy of tracks like Tough or I Apologize worked better for me. They had more of a six-finger satellite urgency and really delivered. Tough could easily be a six-finger satellite track. Jay, do you remember six-finger satellite from our WFAL college radio days? I remember the name, but I don't remember anything other than that. Okay. Other, We might need to review that record or one yep. of their records. Otherwise, the constant tempo changes didn't work for me like they did on the Brainiac record. Makes me respect Eli Janney's production on that record even more as the facility vacillation between distorted electric sounds and fuller guitars for instance riverhead were much more jarring here his vocal also had a readiness that i didn't find compelling there's quite a bit of potential here but i think it needs a bit more of a punch from behind the board interesting notes there thank you keith sawyer get into this record let's talk about what we liked and what we did not like about the self-titled 1995 album by Prick. Tell me something, Jay, you liked. I guess I'm going to have to disagree with Keith quite a bit here. Um, I like the vocal a lot. I think it, this this what separ- separates this record from a lot of other records that um, I think have been in this type of space in terms of uh, production, style, aesthetic. I think he, he's able to do a lot of different voices uh, to the point of almost, you know, having different characters on the record. Um, mm-hmm. 
He can be very melodic. He can do the spoken singing, speak singing kind of thing right. really well, which not everybody can pull off. There's moments where he sounds like Bowie or he can kind of get into a almost uh, Peter Gabriel-ish Genesis kind of vibe. So uh, th- between just the style of vocal plus the way it's produced – so there's a lot of doubling and effects used really effectively um, in terms of, um, you know, them adding em- emphasis or um, space or just giving it a different character, expressing different emotion through the through the effects that are used sometimes. So I like I like the voice, the vocal a lot. I think at the heart, most of this material to me seems like fairly straightforward you know, rock kind of songs in terms of you just listen to the guitar riffs and the drums, but then there's this production process they go through, um, to really just do incredible stuff with the dynamics. So between the dynamics of the, the way the record is produced, um, and the vocal style, I I was pretty pleasantly surprised. I I went into this thinking it was going to be, you know, um, an uglier kind of industrial record that mm-hmm. um, didn't have depth to it, and I, w- I was very, very surprised. So, those are those are two of the major things that I liked a lot. I was very pleasantly surprised and I did pick up on what you're saying with regards to the rock element. I think that comes very obviously through on track nine crack, which sounds, I mean, it sounds like a straight up rock song. Yeah. I was trying to think of who, who who would you would actually, uh, well, the the riff is a Zeppelin ish blues riff, you know, um, at, at the heart. Yeah. But that, to me, actually helped, I guess, ground the record a little bit more in that it has the, when you're comparing it to other bands of the era, it has, in a lot of ways, the uh, melodic competence and and interesting vocal of, say, a Nine Inch Nails and a Stabbing Westward, which was mentioned by um, Retention Pond Honeys. Although I think with the Stabbing Westward album, we were kind of like, uh, got a little bit tiresome because the record was long and yep. it maybe sometimes didn't experiment as much as we were hoping for. Now flip that with like the Skinny Puppy record, which had a lot of interesting musical stuff, but sometimes the vocal kind of held it back and we wanted more of an instrumental record. And yep. what's I think cool about this record is it kind of balances those two where it has that aspect of strong sense of melody and also a musicality that we were looking for. So I yep. I actually really enjoyed the record because it kind of hit both the ends of it and it has the you know an energy that reminds you of like ministry 
and some of the uh, other industrial stuff that we've checked out. We haven't checked yeah. out a ton, but I could definitely hear, though, in when I focused in on the record, that there were definitely two distinct production ideas going on with regards to certain songs. Because uh, when you take a song like Crack, that in no way, shape, or form sounds like a Trent Reznor-produced song. But then when you take a song like Tough or Communique, there are just these like little benchmarks of Trent Reznor production, whether it's like the the double timed hi-hat stuff. Yeah. Is that a hi-hat? It's a double timed something. It's 16th notes on something. Yeah. Or then he does that like he uses that like ghosty sound uh, yeah. in, in, you know, in the background of, you know, it's not even necessarily like up front in the mix, but you can hear it in the background of stuff. When he gets quiet, um, he just has like, and and you know, we're talking about in between pretty hate, pretty hate machine, and downward spiral here. So like, I'm sure that he incorporated some of the stuff that he was messing around with musically because I think the fragile starts to move away from that. He, he kind of it starts to evolve more as a um, a producer and a and a songwriter. But there's a lot of like little techniques that he would use of like the you know going using the the drums to escalate the song you know by adding layers of drums where it's like it's going along and you've got like a snare and a hi-hat and then all of a sudden you know a a double timed like second hi-hat or or dr- entire drum kit will come in and mm. it'll just like expand the song even more so I really enjoyed that because I I really like Trent Reznor's production. I I pretty much listen to everything that he does, even the stuff that you know on that like Ghosts, you know four disc uh, instrumental album. I I find that really stu- that stuff really interesting, just from a production standpoint, without any vocal. Again, there's probably what may, what stops me from becoming a a fan of Nine Inch Nails. While I appreciate what he does, and there's songs here and there that I like, 
I do like that production style. I like what I hear here on this record. I think the thing that's different though, you hear that connects with me at least is it's that vocal again. Like he's not, when we heard it in the stabbing restward record as well, and you hear it in, in Trent Reznor, I mean, they're limited singers, right? right? They got maybe two voices. They do, they do the up quiet, up tight. I'm sorry, up close, uh, on the mic over compressed whisper. Right. And then they do the scream. And that's pretty much the two voices that Trent Reznor and the guy from stabbing westward had. And that's, that's great. You know, when you, when you know what you can do and you do it well, that's fantastic. This singer is doing all kinds of different stuff. Like yeah. he can do both of those j- just as well, but there's all these uh, other shades and just different sense of, of melody. And it makes everything between the production and his his abilities as a singer, it makes all of it musical. And I think sometimes with industrial music, like it crosses a line where it's no longer musical to me. It just becomes like rhythm or yeah sound and this is even though even when they're being like aggressive and noisy there's still like a sense of musicality about it um that i i enjoy um so to me this feels yes i get i think the comparisons of brainiac might be closer but to me this is more accessible than brainiac sure yeah a, a notch to the sort of easier to to get into the dynamics are are really impressive on this record. Um, the way that they yeah. they use layering of drums and different sounds and even space. Like you'll go from these engineering sounds that are very tight and not ambient at all, and then a song like No Fair Fights. When you get to the chorus, they go to this awesome sounding like like small drum kit sound and just this fuzzed out bass. And it's super simple and it has all of this open space in it and then towards the end of the song they turn on all the fuzz on the guitars and Mm -hmm. just like you go like four notches up in terms of intensity hello frantic frauds of verse hang on to your lies i'm an infant but i am telling you i need you to just really brilliant use of just sounds as like uh, a palette, almost like painting, you know? Uh, well, the and, dynamics are really well thought out. Yeah. No, and no, it, there's a lot of tempo changes. There's a lot of instruments coming in and out. I mean, it is all from an engineering and production standpoint, it's, it, it's pretty incredible just to listen to it. Like nothing goes on for very long, you know? Right. Which is another thing about industrial music I don't tend to like is that, I don't know, it just gets a little monotonous or sometimes even lazy sounding. Like sure. you just turn the drum machine on and you just let it roll. And this record is is never doing that. It's always, you know, one bar, one bar um, 
you're focused on an instrument and then all of a sudden that instrument disappears or you cut to this completely different part or totally different sound. Um, so it's a lot going on on this record from an engineering standpoint. Yeah. And you mentioned no fair fights. That to me is one of the songs I really like on the record because they use some sounds that you don't often hear. Like there's an organ sound. Yeah. That's, it sounds like like a, you know, a just standard organ would run through some sort of a vibrato uh, effect that you don't really hear that. It sounds like a natural organ. You know, you think of industrial right. music, you think of a lot of like synthetic sounds, but it's got a nice organic texture that really makes it stand out as being something different. And I, I think that's why I think in the wrong hands, shifting between a very industrial Nine Inch Nails-esque, you know, Trent Reznor produced song to a song which is much more straight up rock driven would be uh, jarring. But in the way that it's all sort of handled here, it doesn't feel as jarring because the rock songs still are a little bit industrial and the industrial songs rock pretty hard. So when they need to, and they have a little bit of organic feel, so they don't feel totally alien compared to the rockers. Yeah. I think the way the drums are approached on the record help tie it together. There's a performance feel through um, the record, but not all of it is straight performance. Like, I don't know how they're doing it. Maybe they have a drummer playing and they like splice the tape up and mess, mess with it and mix it with machines. I don't know, but there's a heart through the whole record that feels very either through the drum performances or like you said, the enough use of things like organ or the way his vocals produce enough, like human, I don't know, uh, organic sounding threads to pull it together so that, yeah, they can switch from a, you know, a, a rock song like crack. I mean, I apologize is that's as fun and upbeat as anything off of a super crass record. Like mm-hmm. super hooky, super melodic, got this crazy guitar melody thing um, that I love. It sounds like this eight bit keyboard from the <laughs> early eighties. Oh yeah. But, but it's a super cool part. It still has that industrial kind of overdriven guitar sound. Mm-hmm. So to me, it fits the record fine. It's just this really odd, but very catchy pop song towards yeah. the you know middle half of the record that, you know, we've, we've um, had a fairly consistent critique um, over all, all many reviews here where we, we, you get to that second half of the record and you start to hit, you know, that's where some of the weaker material is buried. And right. I felt like that's a great idea for how to use a song like that, you yeah. know? Well, and, just and really... you know, that's the song before that was one that threw me for a loop because, uh, I got it bad. I was listening to it and I'm like, uh, what does this sound like? Like, it's got this like very, uh, I don't want to say like uplifting, but it's, it's not like what you would expect out of industrial. It's, and I was like, Oh my God, this kind of sounds like the soup dragons. Like it, <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. It's like, what is what? That's yeah. Not, but there, I think what is the other thing that works on this record is that it is not like this uh, constantly negative. What was me? Yeah. Uh, the 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 lyrics which that come through and the melodies that come through 
are not all dark and not all minor and not all what you would expect. Uh, there is a lot of like sort of sunny pop melody going on in this record. And some of his lyrics are, I don't know. They're, they don't like sound like industrial lyrics. They sound like rock and roll lyrics. Yeah. So like kinda... the stabbing Westward record. I think we had a critique of, you know, at some point you get, it's a little ridiculous with the hate myself lyrics and song yeah. after song after song. And yeah, I mean, I think the lyric on this are, I, I don't, I don't know every song, what he's talking about, but he uses interesting phrases and, you know, uh, says some things that are, you know, uh, grab your attention, but it, it's not all negative. It's not all positive, but there's a, it almost makes it darker to me. Like there's this combination of, you know, these, these rock songs that have some pop sensibilities, but then these bursts of just outright aggression yeah, uh, through the way it's produced and just some of the performances, it makes it feel like, I don't there's like this under like this, this person inside of somebody trying to get out or there's something under the surface about to like, explode but it's just being a hep under you know it's like everything's fine oh shit what is that oh no no everything's fine right like this roller coaster ride um to me that makes it in a way darker than some of that stuff where it's constantly screaming and over the top so i think this record can be as dark as some of the others that we've we've listened to it's just has more variety Tell me, was there anything on this record that did not work for you? I don't. I think the material I uh, like less would be more of this Nine Inch Nails stuff. The Riverhead to me sounds and tough. Um, or, uh, or other people is the other one that I had that you could really tell had those almost. I don't want to say just very characteristic of, of Nine Inch Nails sound. Um, and mostly just because it dates it a little bit, um, I can pick up the reference and it feels a little too mid nineties to me, mm-hmm. whereas a lot of the rest of the record where they don't just go so blatantly in that direction, it mm-hmm. doesn't feel old. It feels very new. Right. Um, a lot of the songs end like with the super noisy kind of scream, extreme distortion thing. I found that to be a little annoying. Um, kind of wish they would although i like the length of a lot of these songs um i don't want them to make them longer it would have been nice to hear some different ways to end these i will say i listened to this in some different speakers and headphones um 
it is it sounds significantly better i'm gonna nitter out a little bit on headphone here but um i think it's important so uh i have all kinds of different headphones the one it sounds the best in is open back headphones meaning uh there's not like the speaker it'd be like having speakers near your ears as opposed to having speakers near your ears and then having a, a plastic completely encasing the back of the speaker and sealing it to your head headphones like that closed back headphones i found this record sounds overly noisy and compressed um and when i listen to it in just regular speakers in the car or on my desktop or through open back headphones it sounds much better um hmm. there's just a lot of space like the dynamics um i noticed that i picked up a lot more than when i used earbuds or um closed back headphones it just sounded real harsh on the distortion on the distortion parts um and just those frequencies of you know where the, those guitars get super ugly sounding and kind of harsh um so that that would be my only complaint is it it's not it, it's a really great sounding record but it is a little sensitive to at least for my ears uh to uh what kind of headphones or speakers i'm using and um i'd like to hear a little bit less harshness on some of those guitar parts just a tiny bit like take it down just a notch um uh, but for the most part um that's pretty nitpicky honestly yeah, yeah that those are not very uh aggressive critiques i'll I'll, so i'll tell you trent reznor produced track one okay three yep four oh oh wow and five he didn't produce two nope wow okay well i love i love no fair fights track five i think that's probably my favorite song on the record interesting yeah i i didn't pick up on it, and then I, then as soon as I, as soon as I realized it, I was like, oh yeah, these are tough. definitely Trent Reznor produced songs because I don't feel like Riverhead does not have to me any t- Trent Reznor touchstone of production. Like it sounds industrial, and it sounds like a band that was, you know, in that same space. But there's no like little tick of of that that we would check off on a Trent Reznor box, uh, like we did with some of the other stuff in in tracks three, four, five, or one. And then I I feel like then when you get to the back half of the record, then you then it moves to you pretty clearly that he didn't he wasn't involved in the production of any of those songs. Like none of those songs sound like anything Trent Reznor did. There's there's times, especially on those Reznor produced tracks, where it's like there's those guitars are so sharp and and squealy that like you're you kind of like have to recoil a little bit or, and i found myself like turning the volume down a little bit and then turning it up as the record went on yeah um so the studio regions that we use are those closed back yep okay that's what i thought they're they're closed back but they're on ear so you get a little bit of a little less compressed sound but if you, I have like noise canceling Sennheisers, so those go all the way around your ear, right? And there's a plastic shell that goes all the way around the back, so all the sound's sealed in. So it's like forcing all that sound right into your ears. Like there's nothing getting in, nothing getting out. Open uh, on ears are 
like that, but instead of it going around your ear, it just sits on the side, you know, it just sets on your ears, mm-hmm. which let a little bit of air in and then open back our, I mean, there's literally, um, usually just like a, a speaker mesh on the outside of this, uh, the headphone. So air comes in and out, like people around you can hear the sound come out of the headphones and you can hear everything around you. It's more like just having a speaker near your ear as opposed to like duct tape to the, <laughs> to your head. <laughs> Here's the question, Jay. Animal was the main single from this yeah. record. I feel like, although we both like this record, I don't feel like there's an explicitly strong single, and Animal's not it either, that works as well as, you know, Closer by Nine Inch Nails or Save Yourself by Stabbing Westward. Like, they, it just is just like one step below... They're good songs. They have good choruses. They have good melodies. There's a lot of interesting musical stuff going on, but it's just not quite at that sort of rock radio level. Maybe, you know, in 95, yeah, it could probably squeak through for a couple of spins in the same way that like a ministry song would for six months, but it was never going to like break the band on a massive scale. Yeah, I think. It was, uh, I was thinking about this as I was finished up my notes. I apologize. It doesn't, it's not like the track you pick to represent the band, but right. Boy, that's a super poppy hooky song. Yeah. Um, there's some bullshit at the front. You'd have to cut out, like get it, get the song going a little quicker. Right. But I can't imagine putting that on radio and giving it a chance and it not, you know, getting some momentum. Is it Stabbing Westward or or something like that? No, but it's just a great, upbeat rock song. So that that, that is another way that they could have taken this, you know. Uh, Don't try to make them the next Nine Inch Nails. Just put out the best, you know, or the the most commercial sounding song. Um, They could have gone that route. I think No Fair Fights is a great song, but yeah, it's probably not a radio song. Make Believe is another song that I liked a lot, which sounded to me like, boy, Cursive could have written this song or could be could perform it like, yeah, not not industrial, you know, um, that's that band's not industrial at all. But there's like this very um, complex way of doing songs. I don't want to say proggy, but there's like a which they can get into a little bit of like more of the 70s kind of prog sound. Um but uh, make believe was another one. Um, just kind of complex. There's a, like a complexity of emotions and and stuff on that song. So um, yeah, and it's funny coming out of crack, which is just this heavy, beefy kind of meathead riff. <laughs> and then the last song has got all this like depth to it, and it's like six minutes long. So it just shows all the different things this band can do. Like crack sounds like if. Like it almost like a Rollins band or something like that. You know what I mean? Like it's just, mm-hmm. it's just such a weird but cool kind of riff that I was not expecting to hear, and I was like, "Whoa, what is this?" Uh, all right, let's so let's go with our overall rating on this record. Were the album better EP or decent single? Jay, where do you fall? Were the album? Yeah, this is yeah, this is a good one for me. I I, I enjoyed this a lot. This one will stick around. I agree with you. This is sort of, you know, perfect combination of what we have 
sort of been struggling to get towards, which was the combination of really interesting music on the industrial side, but also finding the, the proper balance to meet our, you know, melodic tastes. And it, it just sort of delivered there. Yeah, I have to say, I don't necessarily agree with uh, what Keith Sawyer said about uh, McMahon's vocals. I think that they work really well here. And um, I've, I dig the record. It's only 43 minutes long. I mean, it's a nice, tight 10 songs. Yeah, yeah it's it's well sequenced. Yeah. Uh, there's no, like, you know, slow parts of the record or parts right. where you're wanting to skip ahead. Um, the songs wrap up when you want them to wrap up. You know, you've, you've got it. You got it, it. You got it down. Um, the other thing that made me think about is, you know, one of the one of the aspects of the 90s uh, and even some of the 80s was as technology advanced, there was a lot of uh, speculation on how much more creative music was going to get and all these different places we could go with it. To me, this represents the best uh, of what you can do with technology. If we've reviewed some other records where. <laughs> you know, it doesn't always work out that well. Right. Um, to me, if you're going to use it, like this is what you should be doing with it. You know, mm-hmm. creating records like this where you're, you're just creating all new sounds and, and really just you know, making records. That, I mean, you can listen to this record uh, hundreds of times and, and still hear new interesting things, just like you could, you know, a Beatles record in terms of production, right? Um kind of even though it has it's heavy with technology there's a kind of a classic um sonic approach uh, overall to the production of it so yeah well we need to thank retention pond honeys for bringing this record to our attention we both give it a worthy album and really enjoy listening to it so if you'd like to join us at patreon head on over to patreon.com forward slash dig me out and you can join us at the one dollar level which gets you access to uh, bonus content and to vote in polls once a month we're going to throw up a whole bunch of records that people suggest and we're going to pick one and review it and then we also have quarterly contests next one coming up i think by the end of august we'll have our next quarterly contest and of course if you like what you heard please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at itunes So for Jay, I'm Tim, and we're out. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Thanks for listening. To support the podcast, visit www.patreon.com forward slash digmeout and become a monthly subscriber at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages as well as our merchandise store at Zazzle.com. 